Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the pride of South Jersey. It's Benny Horowitz. Oh, come on. You got to get into the delineation here. I got to do this with you, too. Central Jersey, my friend. Central Jersey. Here. Denny, you growing your hair out? Dude, it, it's luscious. Honestly, what, is so... Is this a pandemic cut, or are you just going rock and roll now? I honestly don't know. Um, Because, so, like, when we kind of threw... Uh, our recording up a little bit today, I was like, oh man, I got to brush this thing because it was pretty wild before five minutes ago. So yeah, man, I mean, I haven't had to be at Sirius in a while. You know, I'm just kind of, mm. I don't really have anywhere to be. I don't, ha- haven't had to wear fancy clothes in, in a while. So I'm just kind of letting it ride for today, you know? You know what we call that now? We call that a full-on Andre Iguodala. Oh, yeah, dude. Let's talk about this for two Ooh, seconds before we even get into the scrappy, basketball. Huh? What happened there? And we've got Howard Beck coming up in a little bit. Friend of show. Sure you do. know him. We sure love do. him. Friend of the program. But let's get into Andre Iguodala's hairline. His, <laughs> You know, for one night only, his game was back, but his hairline is in LeBron James territory. I'm less worried about the hairline. Like, like LeBron periodically like shows you he's old, right? <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll, like, very once in a while give you the hairline. He showed up to this bubble with the Wolverine gray sideburns, but then they're <laughs> gone, and he, and he tightens it up. Iguodala, we've been watching, get increasingly homeless as the games <laughs> go on here, and it sort of looks like he clipped the part of his hair that's not there and yeah. then just glued it to his chin, and he's got this weird thing going on, and... And he's 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 playing like his Robert Ory game last night, and all I could think about was what a trash bag Andre's looking like. He, I either have more respect for Andre Iguodala than I've had in a long time, or way less. It depends what his motivation is by looking like that. If it's pure punk rock laziness, like I just forgot to do it. I'm in a bubble. I don't give a fuck if I'm on TV this is how I'm comfortable, then all for Andre Iguodala. If there's some other intention to this, stylistically, me me and uh, Iggy got to have a talk. I thought you were going to say he clipped off the front of his hair and gave it to the back of Solomon Hills because that dude <laughs> is just out here looking. He may be the most punk rock guy in all of the NBA. You know they got barbers in there. <laughs> I'm just saying. And, and imagine, remember, uh, you know, Punk rock has a lot to do with fashion, too. Yeah. Sometimes the most punk rock people were guys, you know, women who spent hours in the morning shaping their Liberty Spikes and things like that. That just doesn't pop on your head. Those people got to care about fashion. And that's why maybe LeBron James, a man of his hulking size walking in with little, like, Angus Young shorts, <laughs> might be more punk rock than not cutting your hair. I don't know. Bronny James, definitely probably the most punk rock above it. Anyway... We, we've touched on the music. We've touched on the basketball. Before we get into our guests, let's get to this day in music history. All right, so on this day in 1963, the Rolling Stones, also called The Stones, <laughs> they started their first tour uh, at the New Victoria in London, surprisingly opening for Bo Diddley and the Everly Brothers. Not what I was expecting when I looked into this. So in early 63, the Stones started playing small clubs and pubs in the London area. By July, they started getting in a van and driving 250 miles north in an old van to Middleborough. And they did two and a half months of van touring around the UK. This is a big surprise for me. I didn't know (laughs) bands like that did this. And I have to imagine... In 63, you know, you don't have the uh, Tesco, uh, you know, side mart off the side of the highway. You know, I, you know, in 63, getting around like that must have been much more complicated. So my level of respect went up a little bit for the Rolling Stones since they had some touring background. But apparently they were only punk a short time because the song Come On had been released in early June. And by August, they were number 20 on the NME chart. They also knew in the fall that they had a uh, they had a big tour coming up, opening for Bo Diddley and the Everly Brothers. So they knew the American blues legends were were coming, uh, and they were prepping for that. So I, I don't know if that makes you less punk rock if you know that the gold is at the end of the rainbow. Most <laughs> punk rockers aren't so sure. So when they were getting ready for this. Uh, 
Jones was quoted as saying, for us, the big thrill is that Bo Diddley will be on the bill. He's been one of our great influences. It won't be a case of the pupils competing with the master, though. We're dropping from our act on the tour all the Bo Diddley numbers <laughs> we sing. So this is just verifying the idea that most of the early British uh, blues rockers were just stealing from all the Americans to the point that when they come over, they had to drop their songs from the set. <laughs> so, I mean, that was pretty bad. Now, apparently in the 60s, these package tours were crazy. They tried to fit as many acts as they could in two hours, including an ice cream intermission, which was part <laughs> of this package. Um, so in order to handle those duties, the tour was stage managed by Don Arden, who was the father of Sharon Osbourne. Mm. Deep, deep ties into yeah. the industry who subsequently hired Peter Grant, the very infamously famous Led Zeppelin tour manager, to tour manage the tour. Hmm. This was the guy who infamously would carry around a backpack with like a million dollars of cash, a suitcase <laughs> with a gun in it. Like, this dude was no joke. If you want to know about this guy, read Hammer of the Gods, the Led Zeppelin uh, autobiography, because hmm. it's great. Um, now, apparently, the, the tour struggled, and by show number seven, they called in Little Richard to replace the Everly Brothers. <laughs> Not bad. So every night the Stones are playing four songs. They got mixed reviews, but this quote from a local paper sums it up best. By the time they got to South End, this was the fifth night of the tour, the local paper said, and I quote, we couldn't really give a verdict on the Stones, the up-and-coming young group with the caveman hairstyles, because we hardly understood a word they sang. But the teenage girls screamed. And they're the ones who put such groups on the recording map. So <laughs> this newspaper knew what they were talking about. It's not about quality. It's about the screaming girls. They knew it even back in 1963. That's kind of like if, uh, if Machine Gun Kelly would open for Gaslight Anthem. <laughs> I heard this character made a pop punk record. Oh, man. That's a real thing? It's out. It's Too many a, emo nights for MGK? The, the name of it, if you could guess, is Tickets to My Downfall. Oh, well, all right. That's self-aware. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to class this up a little bit. My This Day in Music History. You know, we've talked about this record a lot, but on this day in 1984, Prince and the Revolution started a two-week run at number one with the single Let's Go Crazy, his second U.S. number one and, seventh, and number seven hit in the U.K. It was the opening track of a, We've gone into this record in depth, Purple Rain. So just a great day. Who doesn't love Let's Go Crazy? Honestly, it's probably my favorite Prince song. Classic, classic song, man. Is, can Prince do no wrong? I mean, <laughs> mid-2000s Prince or 1980s Prince? I think there's a big difference there. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm still one day, one day I will wear pants with the asses cut out. Oh. And when we do the tune-up live show, that's when it's going to yeah. happen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to get kicked off Zoom for that? <laughs> All right, we'll get to Howard Beck in just a couple minutes. But uh, So we recorded with Howard before the Doc Rivers news went down on Monday night. So that's not going to be included in what you're about to hear. But I just wanted to give a few thoughts on it first. Number one, I think it's very surprising, as everybody else did, and you know, considering the fact that it was always a two-year plan with the Clippers. And this was only year one. But, you know, when you have an owner like Steve Ballmer, who is literally like, oh, I don't want to play at the Staples Center anymore. I'm just going to buy the forum so that I can build my billion dollars arena in Inglewood, California. This isn't a guy that wastes time. And quite frankly, I don't think there's a billionaire anywhere who wastes their time. Feelings kind of get lost in the wake of efficiency. And I think that's exactly what happened here. You know, I Doc Rivers was a integral part of the entire movement of protests and stuff like that that went on in the bubble. So the NBA, in terms of it on the coaching front, I think the Clippers lost a great man. Now, is there room to criticize? Maybe he was too lax, letting guys rest during the regular season, stuff like that. For anyone that says that, in the same breath, you also have to look at it. This is a superstar league, and when you're a place that hasn't exactly been a free agent destination like the Clippers, you have to make some concessions. So yes, maybe Doc was too chill with Kawhi and Paul George, and maybe that ultimately led to his downfall. But if he doesn't do that, I don't think those guys go to the Clippers in the first place. 
I don't think he's done. I think there's a couple different scenarios where he could pan out. I think Houston could be a fit for him. I think Philadelphia could also be a fit for him. He's a player's coach. And if there's a superstar anywhere, they're going to want to play for Doc Rivers. And, you know, that that was the heady play by Doc here. Being the chill coach, being the guy that lets the players do what they want. That's going to keep you employed. Where a guy like Jim Boylan, who, you know, runs a hard practice each and every time, he's probably not going to get another opportunity in this league. So you got to play the game to get by. That's exactly what Doc did. Now, for the Clippers, I think their next head coach has already been on their bench, kind of been waiting. Uh, Sam Cassell on the bench. I know a lot of you thought I was probably going to go Ty Lue there. I think Sam Cassell is the choice. We're in an era where guys who were stars in this league and have had that kind of knowledge get the upper hand. I mean, you've seen this with Nash. You've seen this time and time again, Jason Kidd getting all of these opportunities. So by virtue of being a star, you get this opportunity. He's already on the bench. He knows the culture. He knows the guys. So I think Sam Cassell's already in position. To lead this team to where they need to go, I think a, a new voice may be necessary, even though playing for Doc was a big reason why Paul and Kawhi both went there. So I think, you know, I think right now you can't really make a determination on who won this move. Not a fan of the Marquette on Marquette crime that went on here with Lawrence Frank firing fellow Marquette grad Doc Rivers. But, you know, it's the most Marquette thing. One night you have two former teammates that used to play at Marquette going to the NBA Finals together. And tonight, well, you have a situation where you have one Golden Eagle firing another. So at the end of the day, the Clippers are going to be fine. Doc Rivers is going to be fine. They may not win a championship, but it's not for a lack of trying. All right, coming up, you may know him from the Full 48 podcast that he hosts or his various appearances on ours. He is Howard Beck, and he's coming at you next. All right, Benny. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the newest band across our radar, and that's Guardrail from Chicago. Their new EP, Yikes, is out now on Open Your Ears Records. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk right to your stereo. They're not quite bad religion, but they're also not some 41. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. And I've been playing that one on my fall playlist, whether you're going to a cidery, pumpkin picking, it is the perfect song for that long drive. If you like what you hear, you can go on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S.com to pick up your copy. Guardrail, get the vinyl. Support hard copy music. Let's get this. Guardrail, yikes, out today on Open Your Ears Records. Go grab it. This is the time of the fast I actually quite enjoy. Yeah. Because it's when you're, you A, you either have like those types of epiphanies and aha moments that you're supposed to have on Yom Kippur, or you feel so delirious, you're kind of like a little bit stoned. And either way, <laughs> I'm, I'm good with either. You know? <laughs> it definitely gets silly by this time of day, though. Oh, this is well. when it goes from like, I'm hungry to like, Things are getting strange, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I can't think of a better segue than to bring in our next guest. He is Howard Beck, the man, the myth, the legend. He's your friend. He's ours. He's a probably our most regular guest on this show. Howard, thank you so much for stopping by today. What's happening, guys? Thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, since we last talked, you know, we only bring you on when the big stuff happens. You know, death of Kobe Bryant, NBA Finals. But here we are. Uh, the Miami Heat closed out the Boston Celtics on... Uh, Sunday night and you know we're kind of in this position where it's LeBron versus Pat Riley all of those storylines but before we dive into any of that I want to get into the Celtics and I feel like they are a, a team with a, a fan base that expects one timeline and a front office that expects another timeline what does the result in the bubble mean for the future of Boston if anything Celtics fans are a lot like Laker fans, which is that anything short of a championship or 17 championships, or, you know, to, to coin a number, um, just grab a number randomly. Um, anything short of that is always a disappointment. And so any of us on the outside who are looking at this analytically and, and the long scope of, of, you know, their trajectory, you think, 
this this team is is ahead of schedule. They've got this great young lineup or a couple of, of cornerstone type players in Tatum and Brown. Marcus Smart's fantastic, has plenty of years left. Like they've got all this runway in the world to keep building. And they'll be back. They'll be back multiple times. And they probably will win a, a title or two before it's all over. That's the 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 sober, nuanced view from the outside that's easy for us to have from a distance. But yeah, Celtics fans. It's the same thing as, you know, Laker fans, the, the second they go two years without making the playoffs, it's as, as if, you know, that the end of the world is, is you know, nigh. And meanwhile, there are franchises out there that have never won a single championship and that have missed the playoffs routinely. Um, right. it, it, you know, perspective is necessary. I think the Celtics are in great shape, as you would expect me to say. Um, I think that um, I, I don't. I don't think there should be that much disappointment. Fans will always be disappointed yeah. at, at when their team loses. Uh, I don't think that this should be considered some catastrophic moment. Um, the Heat are really, really good. They're legit. Yeah. By now, everybody should agree on that. Um, I, I always thought they had the chance. Like, I always – Milwaukee was the favorite because of the record, and I always said, going all the way back to before the season stopped, that Boston, Toronto, and Miami, to me, were all legit. Philly was kind of a little more in the outskirts because they were there, you know, between injuries and weird chemistry, but Toronto, Boston, Miami, I all thought had a legit shot, very different teams, but all had the, um, the requisite talent and the defense. And yeah, so the heat are there and the Celtics will be back. What do you think was the, that biggest jump for the heat that brought them from, you know, not a middling team during the season, but a, a very good middle of the pack team to what they discovered in the bubble. What do you think was that that secret that they unpacked? Benny, I'm not sure if it was any 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 secret. I think, you know, Kenny Smith said something funny. Uh, I had him on my podcast back in early July. It was a few weeks before the bubble. And Kenny Smith said, and I, I kind of doubted him at the time, but he might have been onto something, that when the players come back, the rookies are no longer rookies. Mm. Like this is like a new season. You think about it, the number of months they were off, where we are in the actual calendar, which is hard to keep track of anymore. Um, and the idea that even though they weren't able to practice during shutdown, they were able to study film. They were able to review yeah. what they had done in their first few months in the, in the season. And so Tyler Hero comes back. And yeah, you could kind of like look at that Tyler Hero alone and say, that guy does not look like a rookie anymore. Right. No. He's playing like yeah. a sophomore, right? And maybe he already was like, he was a guy who had pretty decent level of confidence coming in anyway, but now he had months off to keep working on his game in other ways. Um, I, I, and then maybe some teams were just better built for the bubble experience. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Butler, this hyper-focused driven individual who, while some players might've been daunted by having to go to the bubble, be sequestered, be away from family. Jimmy Butler was all about, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to go kick some butt and, and drive this team to the, to the finals. Yeah. And, you know, he sets the tone for that team. Obviously the, the reason got they got went French back, press in a backpack. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. Like he, he wasn't worried about any of the other stuff. He just thought, all right, this is where the championship is going to be decided. All right. Yeah, show, show, show me the way. Give me the map. Um, I, liked, I liked what he said too, when he was uh, basically denying his family, he's like, no, 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 you're not coming to the bubble. I'm at work. Yeah. And, and that, that's like a point I was making with Denny a lot as we were going through this, that there's a, a closeness between the bubble and bands on tour. And I've seen a lot of bands on tour who fail because they can't stand being uh, together that long. They can't stand the pressure. They can't stand uh, being away from their families and being away from home. And that the wild card to this entire thing was which team was filled with a bunch of road dogs. And I think Miami just had – if you were to put together a, a bus tour right now, I think Miami would fare the best Be, because of what you said. You know, guys like Jimmy Butler, your veterans kind of don't give a fuck, and then the rest of the guys are kids. They don't care. You could put those guys anywhere for a couple months with their video games and social media. They'll be fine, you know? So I, I think th there's something to that. I think there's – but also, like, think about who the Miami Heat are and who Jimmy Butler is and why they, they were so great together. The Miami Heat are all about – professionalism, certain standards that are just immovable, unbendable, right? right? It is Pat Riley's organization. It's his show. It's his way. And Spolster exemplifies that. Jimmy Butler exemplifies that. And everybody else just has to do, you know, do it that way. But also they go out and get the kind of players who fit that. Right. Mm. So um, that's not to say that other teams 
didn't necessarily have the right mindset. I don't know. Um, I do know, I do know that the heat have it yeah. and you know, um, also too, listen, no one team in the Eastern conference had overwhelming talent. Yeah. Giannis is the two time MVP rightfully so. And I voted for him for both of those. Um, but they did have that drop off to Chris Middleton as an all-star, but who is not a superstar level all-star. Yeah. And after him, it was all right, this mishmash of, you know, a couple of Lopez's and, uh, and, and a Bledsoe <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and a DiVincenzo. And a, but they just, they did not have overwhelming talent. Yeah. Their, their, their best player is, is the MVP, yeah. but it wasn't like a, it was not a super team. The Celtics yeah. had the outline of kind of a super team with four, all-star type talents, but you know, Kemba's got miles on him. Gordon Hayward's always hurt. Jalen Brown is, is yeah. on the rise. Tatum is the only one established there. So you go through the, the list of teams that were competing Toronto, Kyle Lowry, a rising Siakam who's not quite there yet, but he's becoming something. And, and, and yeah, he was, you know, Siakam, I think made all NBA, but there was no one team that you could say was overwhelming. And so when we say, why did the heat make it? Well, because they were no better or worse off than anybody else in terms of their frontline talent. Jimmy Butler's a stud. Bam Adebayo made the, made the leap this year. And they've got a bunch of, of really nice, solid players around them. Um, so it, it, it's and, and a good mix of youth and veterans, too. So it, it, it's, in retrospect, it, it will look less surprising than it was as it may be unfolded. Do you sure. think the reason why, you know, because uh, it, it seems like – in the regular season and now in, in this bubble, you have a teams that are like they're either ahead of schedule, but nobody was kind of gunning in on this year. Do you think that's kind of because for the last few years we've had this Warriors dominance and people have been like, all right, this is going to fade eventually, and then we'll have this window after that? I don't know. I mean, I, I think most – I won't say most teams. I, I think the teams that have the requisite talent where they know internally we can contend – they go into the season with the mindset of we're going to contend. Right. I don't, I don't, I never thought that there was this trend toward, we're just going to push the pause button and bide our time until the Warriors crash and burn. Um, the Rockets certainly didn't approach it that way. And, you know, I think teams, every, every team's just got its own timeline. Yeah. And, you know, if you're the Celtics and you've got that, sorry, Brent, Benny, that massive cache of draft picks <laughs> that you swindled from the Brooklyn Nets, um, Peace then out, Billy. <laughs> you're, you're just you're just going to use them as you go. Yeah. You're not planning on a timeline. You're just saying, okay, it's time to make this pick. It's time to make yeah. this pick. It's time to make this trade. It's time to sign Kemba Walker. You know, it's time to get Kyrie. Oops, that didn't work out. Let's go get Kemba instead. Like you, you just go through the process as it unfolds. And for the Heat, it was trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together after LeBron left. They tried the keep Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh model. Chris Bosh ends up having the blood clot issues. He retires early. Now it's, we got to try to retool around Dwayne Wade. That didn't work well. Now Dwayne leaves. Now Dwayne comes back. So they're, they're just, you know, the, the, the fate unfolds in front of you and you just right. make decisions as you go. Toronto makes a, an all in play for Kawhi Leonard and works, while the yeah. Warriors are still at their peak. Yeah. Right. And it works out. And then Kawhi leaves. And now it's, well, what do we do in a post Kawhi world? So I I just, but this, to your point, or, or, or I think within your point, Denny, there was a strange opening this year, right? Right. Where, where the defending champion lost its finals MVP and the team that they beat lost their MVP or their, their their two-time finals MVP in Durant. And, and the, the field was just kind of open. It was just kind of an open year. Now, what do you think it is acutely about a Miami organization that makes them so adept at evaluating talent and continually finding, you know, gems in 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 later places too? You know, Tyler Hero's at thirteen, Duncan Robinson's, you know, off the scrap heap. What, what is it inside that organization that that's allowing that to happen? I think it's just smart people. You know, I mean, Riley's as great of an evaluator of talent as there is, and somebody with just great conviction. Um, Andy Ellisberg, who people will start to hear about more often in the, in the next couple of weeks during the finals. Um, and Andy's been, you know, one of Pat's right-hand guys for a long time and, and right-hand guy, you know, for, for quite a few years already. Um, Andy's a, a, a cap aficionado as, as well as overall, just a, a great, um, great, great mind um, on the basketball ops side. 
Um, Adam Simon, who works in their front office, Spolstra himself, who is a Riley disciple, obviously. I, I just think that, you know, and, and they're a team that has had their misfires too. You know, they did give that contract to, you know, uh, well, they matched the contract for Tyler Johnson that the, again, the Nets right. gave. Um, well, Deion Waiters, Tyler, Waiters, Tostin. Deion yeah. Waiters, James Johnson. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they had their misfires. Sure. Um, but you can, you know, you can misfire on the free agency front and on contracts if you also have the, uh, the wherewithal, the smarts, and the long-term vision right. to do all the other things right. Mm. Yes. Um, even a deal like Goran Dragic, it went from being great all-in move at the time to prop up the Dwayne Wade, the fading Dwayne Wade era, right. to, oh my God, what did you do? You gave up two first-round picks to get right. an older point guard who made one All-NBA team but is, is good, not great, or whatever, to now – Man, Goran, Dra- Goran Dragic has been their leading scorer. Like he was the leading yeah. scorer during, I think, their their uh, leading usage guy in the regular and, season. And wasn't he widely available, basically, to anyone who wanted him prior to the season? Um, I, I I think there was probably something to that. Um, it's too long ago to remember, but um, <laughs> but but Dragic was a great pickup at the time, and is now they held onto him long enough where he became a great pickup again after for a while looking like it was a misfire, right? right. Um, they, they offloaded the contracts that hurt them. Um, the, the getting Iguodala and Jay Crowder in that same deal, everybody thought it was a deal for Iguodala, but, and like Jay Crowder's like some throw in, like, no, now you've got like two really versatile wings with sure. length and height, both of whom will be critical against LeBron in the finals. Um, drafting out of bio, developing out of bio, uh, getting Tyler hero and, and, and Duncan Robinson, like they, they and, and Kendrick Nunn for that matter. They, yeah. they yeah, just, right they've recognized um, talent at the right times. And, and then it's also what you do once you get them, because those same players in a different environment would not be blossoming at the same That's rate. Right. And having Jimmy Butler there as an anchor allows those guys to develop on their own timeline with less on them from day one. I think too, with a team like Miami, it, it's one of the important things of having instilled culture is the idea that there are certain players that'll come through the draft board, talent or not, that just will not get drafted. You know, there's a certain personality that can never go to Miami, a certain questionable work ethic that can never go to Miami. And I think when you have that instilled culture, it simplifies the picks. It takes certain people just out of the equation, off the bat, and you know who fits into this. Yeah, and look, let's let's be, you know... Um perfectly honest about this. It, it doesn't mean that they don't sometimes take some, some strange risks based on their own, um, their right. own situation, right? Every team, these are our convictions. These are our values. These are the kinds of players we want. Oh crap. We're over a barrel right now and we don't have enough talent and we need to plug a hole. Let's go sign Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> right. right. And they did. So at one point they have Hassan Whiteside and Dion Waiters and James John. Like they have some guys who were maybe kind of, you know, problem child type players. Sure, yeah. So it's not that they it's not that they rigidly adhere to a certain standard. Mm-hmm. It's that they decide when to take those risks. They count on the idea that the strength of their culture will get those guys in line and get the best out of them without them derailing anything. And then knowing when to cut ties. And right. they cut ties with everybody I just mentioned, but they but they got some miles out of them first. It got them sure. through a, a leaner period. Um, and they didn't compromise their values by signing any of those guys. They huh. simply weathered it. They, they find, and I think even suspended Whiteside multiple times. Yes. They did what they had to do. They still upheld their values. They didn't bend and say, well, we're going to, now he's our highest paid player. So we just got to kind of roll with all of, of his, his outbursts. No, they, they, they did what they had to do to try to, to uphold the values of that franchise. And um, and then in other situations, they are specifically, I think, looking for guys who fit from day one, like Tyler Hero. You know, you'll hear him described often, right? Like as a dog. This is a dog. This is a guy who wants <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. in the gym and who, who competes, and he's tough, and he's not. He doesn't. He's not afraid of any situation. And we saw him hitting all those, those big shots to to close out the series. Like, yeah, they're looking for those guys, and I think they know how to identify them. Yeah, that's cool. We got to move on to my boy and your boy. LeBron James, right? So he's obviously a big part of this, this whole scenario. And, uh, you know, the thing now, like we're talking nine out of 10 straight finals. So the thing that that's most impressive to me and 
became clear when this Last Dance documentary came out to me. This is again, this is my minor pundit's opinion, is yeah. the fact that emotionally, Michael Jordan probably could have done this if he chose to do this, if he stayed those years and if he stuck it out and had not only the uh, emotional wherewithal to do it, but also the ability to orchestrate a room, the ability to orchestrate a team, the ability to get people on the same page as you. I think increasingly as we go on, LeBron deserves more and more credit for his acumen as a leader, as a steadying force, as just this rock of a person who never seems tired physically or emotionally. Like, seriously, the guy's a fucking robot. Um, now, wh what do you think it is about this guy, his toughness, that that makes him so unprecedented? Aside from his game, we all know his game. Yeah. There's something else at work here. Well, think of it this way. I mean, he wherever people view him in the in the the you know uh all-time pecking order and in the yeah. goat debate he could have walked away yesterday a year ago two years ago yeah. and his legacy is set right yeah. four-time regular season mvp three-time think three-time mvp in the finals um three-time champion um way up there on the on the all-time career charts for scoring for assists it, he, he, there's, there's nothing he can do necessarily that's going to like, especially if you're someone who believes that it's MJ as, as the goat of all time and you, you can't possibly displace him. Okay. All right. Well then LeBron is second yeah. probably. Um, there's nothing he can do, but he's still there. Right. He's still, the, he's, he's still there because he can be because of, and again, doesn't need the money either. Of course, doesn't no. There's no, Thank he cannot, he cannot get any more famous, <laughs> any more rich. <laughs> yeah. Or, or or any more great at basketball. He no. can only go the other way in terms of, of, of the basketball sure, because sure. of age. There's a genuine drive there, a genuine passion. And that's not that's not hagiography. That's not like 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 trying to just like glorify it. No, like we see it every freaking day. The guy's yeah. still doing it 17 years in. He doesn't have to be. And I've seen plenty of, of players come through this league in the 23 years that I've been covering it now. <laughs> who had incredible talent, but just didn't care. They just didn't have the, the love of the game or the drive or the discipline, the work ethic. And so they make their money and then they bail out or they right. kind of, they're on cruise control. There are a lot of guys like that. Yeah. There are more, there are more guys like that than not. So LeBron has that innate need and desire to be great, to be nothing less than great. The injury last season could have been one where you think like, all right, well then, you know, yeah. why am I still doing this? Right. You know? Yeah. And, and then we see that fourth quarter the other night and like, holy crap, the dude is, we keep, keep saying 35. He's now closer to 36. He's yeah. turning 36 in December. We're, we're at the end of September here. He doesn't sweat. He doesn't <laughs> he even doesn't, sweat anymore. He doesn't even sweat. That's crazy. Oh, um, he may not be human. Um, he's, yeah, he's made of no, robot he's, parts. He's yeah. he's amazing. He's I used to say that when I covered Kobe that I'd never met anybody in any walk of life, you know, doctors, lawyers, accountants, whatever, who were as committed to their career, to their chosen profession as Kobe was to basketball. But LeBron is that's that's it's the same phenomenon. It's that same thing. You like my God, this guy, and he's become you know obviously he's a great family man. He's yeah. a humanitarian. He's an activist. He's doing all these other things he still will accept nothing less than, you know, a, a complete and, and total commitment to basketball and to being the greatest out there. And even I'll, I'll, I'll you know, end this answer on this note, even though I have voted for Giannis the last two years for MVP yeah. and he had, and, and I have no regrets about that whatsoever. Sure. It's about who had the best season. Right. And LeBron sometimes was in cruise control or, you know, last year obviously was hurt. If you ask the question, not who's MVP, but, who would you want to win one game or one seven game best of seven series? I have never wavered from this. I have never jumped on the Kawhi train or the Steph or the KD or the Giannis. I've always said give, year to year, all these guys are great. And at any given time, somebody else might be MVP for that season. But if the question was simply win one game or win one series, it's still been LeBron without fail every single year. Yeah. 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 I, I always feel too. It's so unprecedented. From from 16 years old to now, how many times LeBron could have fucked up? 
you know, the friends he decided to take along the way to be his agents, his managers, the, the system he put in place, his family, his teams, even the acrimonious way he left a lot of teams and cities. And still, like we stand here today with really nothing significantly bad to say about the guy except for the decision. Seems to be like the only snafu when he was just like, oh, okay, I fucked that one up. And that wasn't even that bad because no one got hurt. You know, yeah. so it's like, I, I just think about this guy now and it, it's gone to another level beyond basketball to me where this is an icon. Uh, this is someone I would tell my kids to shape their life like. And I don't know if I would have said that about Michael Jordan. You know, uh, there's something about him at this point. He's getting into it's just royalty. Truly is the king. Oh, boy. We have really aggregated the bejesus <laughs> out of this between he and LeBron. But I kind of want to bring this back to the series. You know, everywhere I turn, including on this podcast, you know, people are talking about the Lakers are the heavy favorites. Um, but, you know, in, in, in terms from most playoff series and a traditional setting, the best player wins. But you've kind of seen in this uh, setting that the best team kind of has a uh, has had the track here. So if you're choosing between the two best players in, in the series or the best, you know, five guys that you could put out there to play together, uh, which you think has the edge going into this finals? The thing is, and, and trust me, I've, I've put it in those terms myself too. <laughs> so um, I, I will contradict myself. The fact is it's, it's tempting and we always do this. All right. Well, the player, the Lakers are the two best players, and I don't think anybody would dis- dispute that, right? right? You know, Anthony Davis is definitely better than Bam Adebayo, and, and LeBron still has a, a, a bit of a lead on on Jimmy Butler. As much as I love both of those players for the Heat, um, but when we say, okay, but who has the best team? Well, the team is sometimes a product of how great uh, or how much your two best players elevate everybody else, and so we can play this game of saying, well, after we take out LeBron and AD, the next five best players are all wearing heat uniform or whatever it may be. And that may be true. You know, you would take Tyler hero over Contavious Caldwell Pope, you know, sure. um, you, you would take Duncan Robinson over, I don't know, whoever um, you might, you could play that game, yeah. but it, it, what it fails to bring take into account is how much better LeBron and AD make those players when they're on the court. And so Rondo who in another category, in another uh, environment right now would be possibly useless. Right. Um, yeah has been great with the Lakers mm. and Dwight Howard, who has been left for dead seven times, mm. you know, in seven years, it is, is a productive player for them. Um, so it, it, it's more complicated than, than who has the, the best team. Um, I, I love the way that the heat play together. So let me yeah. just talk about them for a minute. Offensively. Like, look at what this team does. Jimmy Butler, I mentioned it earlier. Jimmy Butler was their, their only their second player in usage during the regular season and during right. the playoffs. Um, he doesn't use a lot of possessions. He doesn't shoot a ton. He's not going out there every night trying to, to drop 40. He's not a James Harden or Westbrook or Luka Doncic or, or Giannis who are going to dominate every aspect of the offense. And yet we still think of him as being the key in the heart of that team. Right. Yeah. Not any, He might only take 12 shots. <laughs> and you don't might not lead them in a single game in scoring, yeah. but it, he infuses them with a certain uh, confidence and style, right? So watch the heat. That ball moves a ton. Yeah, I yeah. love the the heat's ball movement. Like it's it's like it is the classic version of if you love basketball, that's a five man game. They are playing the five man game. Yeah. They are playing yeah. the beautiful game that the Spurs played to beat LeBron, you know, back in in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Um, and, and they move really well off the ball. Yes. Really, really yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, when Bam goes for 30, it's not out of by design. That's just that was what was available. If, if Jimmy goes right. for 40, it's because that was what was needed that night. Um, but I, so I, I love the fact that they're, they're a true team out there. Mm. Yeah. And that's not to say the Lakers aren't. If you have LeBron, yeah, you, let him, you let him use 35% <laughs> of your possessions on a given yeah. night. Um, and AD too. So, you know, um, it, it, it's – by 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 almost every analysis, the Lakers have to be favored. Hmm. Um, I do think that the Heat, with the, the talent that they have and the spread of talent that they have and the style that they play, and they're great defensively, they've got a chance. And they could they could push this thing to seven. But I think the Lakers, you know, obviously they have to be the favorites. You know, you know what the wild card to me is is Dwight Howard coming back to Orlando 
First time he's had a chance to win a ring there since 2009. <laughs> I think he's either going to he's going to either effort his way out of the series or effort his way in, but he's going to make an impact. I think he's going to be big in this series. Well, I mean, Dwight will be among the guys that they'll need to use to to try to throttle Bam and and, and you know, stay between him and the basket. Um and you know, there's, you know, you, you don't want to you don't want to overemphasize his importance to them. I know. <laughs> right, Every time exactly. you overemphasize Dwight, it bites you in the ass. Right? Yeah, but but he's important. Like every all all their role guys are right. But so my my bigger question is like like we've seen how the Heat zone has has worked. Do the Lakers have the shooting to make them pay for the zone? Um, the most simple answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't trust the Lakers shooting. Now they do have guys who can get hot, right? Mm. Danny green hasn't had a, a big shooting postseason, but Danny green has performed at a high level in multiple finals before, um, you know, Catavius Caldwell Pope is, is, a, is a solid three point shooter. Yeah. Um, Caruso will get on a, a you know, a, on a bender here somewhere, you know, like there, I, there's no one guy on that roster that I'm going to say like, oh, there's their, or knockdown shooter, right, the guy yeah. that you always know you can rely on. They don't have that. Yeah. But um, any given night, a couple of those guys could get going. So as you said, 23 years in the business, what is the best finals to you on a personal level and the best finals to you on a basketball level in those oh, years? Man. So 23 years covering the NBA did not go to all of those finals Um for various reasons. I think I've been to 17 maybe out of, out of the 23 years. That's a um, lot. Still a lot. <laughs> still uh, on a personal level. It's the first one. It's, it's Lakers Pacers in, in the year 2000 oh, cool. um, because I started covering that team in 97 as a beat writer. So I'm there every day of, you know, at, at like every hour basically of, of, sure. of my professional life for, for a seven year span, 97 to 04. And at that time, you know, I'm on my third season and I've been there enough to know who these guys are. I understand kind of the rhythms of Shaq and Kobe, Rick Fox, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, Brian Shaw. Like you, when you know the, the team at that level, it, it's, it's a different experience covering the finals because I've seen them evolve and I've seen them stumble. And they weren't expected to be in the finals that year at, at, at certain points. I know they won 67 games, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they, were, they were minutes away from losing game seven of the conference finals to the Portland Trailblazers. All right. And so um, it, it just, it, it, you know, Shaq and Kobe finally having that crowning moment, um, experiencing that firsthand, writing about it firsthand, and having the understanding of that team professionally and personally was, was a, a different kind of gratifying moment. So the next two championships that I cover of the Lakers are kind of like, oh, okay, they repeated, ah, okay, they three repeated, right, right, fine, right. whatever. By the time they beat <clears throat> your Nets in, uh, in year three, that's the second time I've had to, to take a shot at you, Benny. I'm sorry. Very <laughs> anticlimactic finals. Uh, I was there. It was, that so. was a terrible, terrible. That might have been the most boring finals I covered. Um, That's when they moved to Brooklyn. I was like, fine. No one cared. <laughs> Trust me. I was there. No one cared. So that, so that, so those were anticlimactic um, of the other. So then if I'm going to go to the best finals um, that are just from a basketball perspective, the first Warriors title, be, mm-hmm. again, I, I like it when we can't see it coming. Right. Um, yeah. that, that was just this, this magical season for them. And look, I'm a Bay area kid. I grew up in San Jose. I wasn't a big basketball fan during my youth. I was a bit more of a, a Niners guy an NFL guy. So there wasn't a lot of sentimental attachment, but I'd been in that building many times or at least a handful of times. Yeah. Um, and so there was a little bit of, of maybe, you know, 2% of, of this being, you know, my hometown or hometown area and, and, and people that I grew up with being thrilled with this, but 90 something percent of it was just like, that was a fun, enjoyable team, a really easy team to like at that time. They weren't the villains yet. And they played again, they played a great style of ball. The ball moved. Everybody was involved. They had this unlikely finals MVP with a Godala. Right. Um, so that, that one was a lot of fun. Um, I think, you know, LeBron's first title, um, the Ray Allen shot, you know, there's, 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 there's a bunch, um, you know, they're, they're all, they're all enjoyable professionally for different reasons. Some have more emotional resonance than others. Right. Um, last year's was just really weird, you know, seeing KD go down. Yeah. Um, 
that is, is just just cast such a, a different light over it. You know, still a great championship, you know, for the Raptors. And if certainly if you're a Raptors fan, you're, it's, it's no less joyous. But from a, a, a reporter's perspective and just seeing both teams, you know, the, the, I'll never forget the pain and anguish in, in, in uh, Bob Myers face after that that night um, when KD went down. And um, so, yeah, um, they're they're all they're all fun for different reasons. But I think, yeah, those are the ones that stick out. 2000 and uh, and I guess 2015. All right. How do you like watching these games without fans? Do you care? Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. <laughs> it, 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 the, the fans, you know, the, the soundtrack of a game, even from home, is is hearing the rising and falling of, of the crowd noise, right? And sometimes you know, not necessarily that the ref missed a call, but that that, that call was at least questionable when you hear this. You, you hear like, oh, like, you know, the groans or the gasp right before a three-pointer swishes or whatever. I just – it. There are these these you know um, audible clues to what's going on in an arena that you can't right. always see on TV, yeah. and and it's it's taken all that away from it. All the atmosphere is just gone, and you know like Luca hits that one crazy shot early in the bubble. <laughs> right. or Dame Dame hits a shot. Sure. Um, you know as LeBron gets hot the other night or Tyler Hero that like if those games had been where they were supposed to be we're feeling them and experiencing them that much differently, even, even from home. And so, yeah, I, I, I miss the, 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 the crowd noise. All right. So we normally have this in the middle of the show, but because, you know, it's basketball central. And besides, you know, I'm a little sad. The fact that after a couple of weeks from now, there's not going to be any basketball for God knows when. So it's a basketball centric show. It's in a music genre in your head, basketball show in the heart. But anyway, I've been rambling on long enough. Let's get to this week's Dollar Slice Take. So, one of the greatest challenges moving in the Garden State is knowing where your best slice of pizza and where a good bagel is. Yeah. Now, states are always looking for ways to make money, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Most of them fail besides for uh, legal gambling known as the lottery that they own. Uh, So what about state subsidized pizza and bagel places, right? Mm -hmm. So you know you have a baseline standard in every town you get. Uh, You could hire former employees, maybe convicts. It could be like a job reentry program. Bagel baking and pizza making is nothing you can't teach. And then uh, every town is insured to at least have a mid-quality bagel and slice of pizza available to you. I like it. No, I'm a big fan <laughs> of this. I mean, I think that this should honestly, we should get it up to the Supreme Court and this just becomes like the lay of the land, which actually, you know, leads me to my dollar slice take for the All week. Right. I'm going to build off this because this is how we're mixing it and matching today. It's like, it's like I'm wearing like, a white pair of socks and then a black pair of socks, and we're mixing it up all for the fashion. Anyway, that was a, a long way to ramble about trying to formulate this entire thing in my head, but I think that there should be a... So, have you ever heard of the website Fiverr? It's for freelance people? No. Okay, well, if you're doing anything in the digital space and you want help, you know, a graphic design, anything like that, you go to Fiverr, a lot of okay. talented people and stuff like that. I think that there should be Fiverr for chefs, kind of freelancing oh. chefs and bakers, so that if you need someone to make a cake for you and you want a specific kind of cake, Ooh. they have their portfolio up there, and you just kind of go through, and they can be anywhere in the world. They ship it to you. So if, say, you want New York, New Jersey bagels, but you live in, like, the Pacific Northwest, you just hire your person, they make it, however they do, you send them the money, they send you the bagel. That way you can have comforts from home wherever you are in the world. I like this idea, but I'd like to add on to it. Oh, please. How about more like WebMD style? Oh, yes. Where you have hundreds of chefs in different culinary practices waiting online. You pay a small fee, and then boom, all of a sudden you're confused about baking bagels. Here's a pastry chef from New York. Boom, right there on your Zoom, guiding you through the process. I love it. I love it. And these are $20. Slice takes, and the world is better because they have more bagels. Exactly. Now. And if you want to build off the whole medical thing, it's like 
it kind of circumvents a whole a whole uh, health insurance system so that you can just kind of freelance your doctor and and everything like that. Perfect. I mean, I'm Let's sure circumvent them all. Listen, this they sounds don't need any more money. This sounds exactly how like Google started and then it was used to ruin democracy, so I think we should probably stop talking. <laughs> Man, if for some reason my weird weird life wound up being responsible for the fall of democracy, I mean, let it burn, baby. I mean, if a dude, not to sidetrack, but I mean, that should be the name of this show, Sidetracked. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if a dude looking for girls at Harvard can be the biggest threat to democracy, I think that a guy who's in a band and has had influence for a little bit of time makes a lot more sense. I can't code. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris Bosch on line one for Benny Horowitz. <laughs> All right, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune-up podcast, two Ps in there, at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the social channels, the tune-up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, tune-up on Twitch, get there, subscribe, be about it. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, Danny, always remember, squeaky wheel gets the grease. This has been The Tune-Up. <laughs> Thank you so much for checking out The Tune-Up this week. If you want to support our show, support the people that support us. Let's hear one more time for the new Guardrail EP, Yikes, on Open Your Ears Records. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk right to your stereo. They're not quite bad religion, but they're also not some 41. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. And I've been playing that one on my fall playlist, whether you're going to a cidery, pumpkin picking, it is the perfect song for that long drive. If you like what you hear, you can go on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S dot com to pick up your copy. Guardrail, get the vinyl. Support hard copy music. Let's get this. Guardrail, yikes, out today on Open Your Ears Records. Go grab it!